right? Like I'm putting my real self out into the world and all I was seen as was a projection by everyone around me and it was excruciating. And so now to be me and to have people not only see me clearly, but see me clearly and say, I love you. See me clearly and say, you inspire me. See me clearly and say like, oh my gosh, can we be friends? Like that, that's everything. Hello and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Each week, my guest and I share our vulnerable behind the scenes stories of giving ourselves permission to take off our masks, let go of expectations and embrace our own path of freedom and authentic connection. I am your host, Bianca Hughes, a lover of authenticity. Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I wanted to share something with you. So last week, I did not put out a podcast episode. And I just wanted to really just be really honest and share with you guys that it's just been hard. Um, I'm still kind of looking for a podcast editor. I am forward therapy clients and I have all this stuff going on. So a couple of emergencies. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is just to let you know that it was hard for me to not put out an episode last week. I really struggled with that. However, I don't just want to come and put out an episode just to put out an episode. And I really just didn't have the bandwidth in me. And so I wanted to just share that with you guys, that it was hard. I did do it. And just to remind you all that we can't always do everything that we put our minds to. And it's okay to step back because at the end of the day, you know, you have to put things into priority. And whether that's your mental health, your emotional health, or physical health, podcasting will always be here is the way I can look at it. But me necessarily, Bianca, might not be. And so I want you to just take that and look at perhaps maybe situations in your life where you are not stopping to think about your well-being and you're putting other things or other people first where you really need to stop and make an assessment. But it was not easy. I just want to let everyone know that. However, today... I have a guest on the podcast. My guest today is Sarah Buino. She is a speaker, teacher, therapist, and the founder and president of Head Heart Therapy, Inc. Sarah is a member of the adjunct facility at Loyola University, Chicago, and presents on topics such as shame, trauma, and addiction to therapists all over the country. She's also the host of two podcasts, Conversations with a Wounded Healer, which examines the role of one's own healing while being a caregiving professional and transforming trauma, a podcast by the NAM Training Institute about thriving after trauma. Sarah loves tattoos. Ooh, I love them too. And changing her haircut color often. When she's not working, her favorite activity is playing fetch with a 10-pound chihuahua Batman. So let's go ahead and get into this conversation. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Bianca. (laughs) It is wonderful to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you. I am just, I always like to let people know how I meet people. 
But, um, well, I, you were given my info by somebody else, by a, mm -hmm. a mutual um, contact associate, Annie. And then I got to be in your podcast. And yes. now you're on my podcast because we have yes. so much synergy. So that always works out, doesn't it? Like It does. When we got stuff in content uncommon. Don't you, like, meet your best friends on the podcast? <laughs> I yes. seriously keep, like, falling in love with people. I'm like, I can't take any more friends, but they keep coming to me. It's amazing. So I've met a few strangers, but a lot of people I know so far. Okay. But I meet – it's like I meet them all over again. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, because it's totally different in this forum. Yeah, yeah, I meet them and I'm like, I didn't know this about you. Like, you're just so amazing. So it's like I get like a new part of a friend or something like that. So that's yes. what I kind of love. So um, authenticity. I mm. know you're big on authenticity. Mm -hmm. uh, and as this is my favorite question to everyone on the podcast, what does authenticity mean to you? And I actually didn't think about it ahead of time because I feel like if I try to prepare something, it's not going to be as authentic <laughs> as if I just let it come out. What does authenticity mean to me? It, I mean, it's my state of being. And I say that knowing that that might sound a little, I don't know, like, I don't know, because authenticity is a buzzword, I think, for mm -hmm. a lot of people right now. But it's the only way I know how to be. Like in my childhood, I was supposed to shut down my authenticity. That's what was being asked of me by my family. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't shut myself down. All I could do was speak the truth and all of the things that that I saw that people were saying, no, 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 that's not happening. Yes, it is. Like I'm the <laughs> truth teller. So for me, authenticity just is. Mm. And for me, it's truth. For me, it's, you know, not not necessarily having to abide by the rules in the very rigid way that they can be set for us, either as women or as therapists or a wife or, you know, what, whatever it is that I am. I don't necessarily have to stay inside that box. I can give myself permission to just be the way that I am. Do you see what I mean, guys? Like, did you just hear how much of her language, of the language of the podcast? So the whole podcast mm -hmm. is, um, you know, permission, taking off the mask, giving yourself permission. Mm -hmm. I am so the truth teller. And that is what everyone is mm -hmm. talking about. So like, see why I just had to have her on the podcast? Yay! <laughs> I never get tired of asking that question mm -hmm, right. um, of what in authenticity means, because it means so many things to so many people. And I feel like it's such a personal thing. Mm -hmm. um, I get that authenticity is a buzzword. But when you dive deeper, I feel like when you dive mm -hmm. deeper into what it means for people, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, mm -hmm. it, it, it gives this uh, sweet perfume. Mm. The sweet perfume of, oh, I like that. <laughs> sweet perfume. Right? Oh, don't you love that when you're like, oh, I like what I just said. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do that with clients. I'm oh, like, oh my gosh, that sounds so good. Um, the sweet, <laughs> sweet fragrance of authenticity or the mm -hmm. sweet perfume of authenticity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. So I heard you saying when you grew up, um, you know, 
you weren't necessarily given space or given room to be authentic. So would you say that, and you fought back, but were there times where you weren't authentic, would you say, or you just always pushed through that? I I literally can't not be. I I I mean, it's my superpower and my kryptonite at the same time, right? Because it's it's good for me to like be who I am and expand and be out there and and be real, but it's also very painful when that's not tolerated or it's hated. Um, you know, but it's the rewards of being my true self now. Like when I was a kid, my it's like it was just excruciating. I was constantly suicidal. I was constantly like striving for connection and attention wherever I could get it. I just wanted somebody to see me, right? Mm. Like I'm putting my real self out into the world and all I was seen as was a projection by everyone around me and it was excruciating. And so now to be me and to have people not only see me clearly, but see me clearly and say, I love you. See me clearly and say, you inspire me. See me clearly and say like, oh my gosh, can we be friends? Like, that that's everything hmm that's like um life-giving yes yes it's life-giving is what i'm mm-hmm. hearing tell us a bit about because it's, it's interesting when you talk about being constantly suicidal in the sense that you were being yourself and it still wasn't good enough mm-hmm. or wasn't mm-hmm how did you internalize that? Because I know I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the suicidal thoughts were that internalization mm-hmm. of that experience. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want me to get really deep, I can talk about NARM, which I think we talked about a little bit. Yeah, a little podcast. bit. Yeah. So sure. I'm, I'm training. I'm in my second year of training in the neuroaffective relational model called NARM. I'm not a spokesperson for them, but I am a lover of them. I just <laughs> absolutely love the model. And it's really helped me understand what my trauma was because I, I'm a person, even when I went through school, I didn't identify myself as a trauma survivor because I didn't, I didn't know about developmental trauma. Mm-hmm. And I, my, can you, my, before yeah. you say that, can you just tell the people what developmental trauma is? Yes. Developmental trauma is essentially any rupture in the caregiving relationship. Um, it's, it's when you're not mirrored properly, right? So a lot of people may be familiar with the still face experiment. If you're not, Google it right now and you'll find a bunch of videos. And essentially what it is, is like a baby will do the goo goo gaga thing. And then the mom reflects back to the baby what the baby is giving. And then the mom just like has this still face and does nothing. And you watch the baby like react to not getting that mirroring from the mother. So that's a, that's a really obvious example of of what can happen like that that's a developmental rupture Mm -hmm. so for me what happened was my dad was a narcissist they're both passed away now so i can dish on them freely um (laughs) my dad was a narcissist and i also think a sex addict and my mom was the adult child of an alcoholic and highly highly codependent quite like martyr codependent, which is covert narcissism, which we don't talk about that a lot, but that's something that we do talk about a lot in NARM um, because the narcissistic spectrum, essentially it's 
the narcissist can only see themselves, whether it's covertly, and the covert narcissist is trying to trying to essentially control you by doing things for you, but then often getting resentful at you when you don't give them the the, the attention and the the love that they want. I see your wheels turning. <laughs> say more <laughs> or say something. <laughs> Sometimes I think I should just record, like, have the video version of this because I'm like, mm-hmm. my brain is like, a, uh, you know, I'm analyzing what you're thinking and I'm thinking about all the people and then mm-hmm. I'm thinking about all the examples and I'm like, mm-hmm. um, yep, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, tell right. us more. Yeah, it's controlled by caregiving, right? So, like, my, my dad... It, it was pretty easy to identify he was not a good person, right? So I kind of grew up my whole life being like, my dad like doesn't even care, really. I didn't even think he cared about me at all. Um, and it was all about work and his girlfriends and, and whatever gadget he was into that week. But with my mom, I – and I, I, I know this because I have her diaries because she died and I have her diaries and she – wanted to have a little girl to be just like her. Like I was supposed to be her. I was supposed to be a better version of her and do all of the things that she never got to do in her life. And the problem with that for me is that I am me and I wasn't her. And I also didn't love her in the way that she wanted me to love her because, frankly, she was smothering. And so I was I was always kind of pushing away from Mm -hmm. from her affections. Um, And she would punish me by saying, oh, well, you're not sweet. Your brother's the sweet one. He loves me. You should you should be sweeter to me like your brother is. Mm -hmm. So it's this really awful, like, push pull dynamic. And her. The, the the trap, the bind that she would always put me in is she wanted me to be better than her because she wanted me to have the things that she didn't have. And yet when I was better than her, she felt threatened. So she would say to me, I can't even tell you how many times she would say, you're a better singer than me. You're smarter than me. You're prettier than me. You're more athletic than me. And I knew Like, she was saying that as if it were a compliment, but I knew how sad it made her, Mm -hmm. which, of course, as a child, you don't want to make your parents sad. So it was like, literally, my existence is painful for you. And so, of how can I internalize that as anything, but I'm bad. I'm wrong. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, so, to add, it's like, I'm bad, I'm wrong, and I'm constantly reminded Mm -hmm. of that it's not even Mm -hmm. like it's a Mm one-time thing which is what we call in essence is part of what a lot of um, child development trauma is Mm -hmm. um, developmental trauma is about that complex trauma Mm -hmm. um, because complex is it's more than once it's ongoing it's not something that just stops and you can't escape and so you know I had a guest on a, a podcast and um, she had attempted suicide and she eventually realized that it wasn't that she wanted the, to die. Mm-hmm. She wanted the situations yeah. to die. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you couldn't do that. You, right. You couldn't right. make that happen. And, you know, doing NARM as a client, like being a, a client of it, it's been so profoundly helpful just to realize 
like just how powerful and how resilient I really am because I actually never attempted suicide. And, and when I think back on just how bad it was, that's kind of shocking that I never tried, but I think that speaks to like my soul knew that I was really, I needed to be here and that I had a lot of really awesome work to do. And not to say that people who try to kill themselves don't have that, but I I don't know. I just, I always knew that I was supposed to like do something important. And, and I used to, I used to say like, oh, that's so narcissistic of me to think that, but you know what? That's a trauma response. It's okay to know that you have important work to do in this world. And I think I'm saying it from an authentic and, and connected place where it's not boastful. It's just honest. Why can't we do that though? <laughs> why can't we just honestly say, well, not why can't we, we can, but it's almost as like, uh, it's, it's almost, it's almost as like when people are telling the story nowadays and they're talking about what they did and they're like, but we socially distance. It's almost as like we have mm-hmm. to explain ourselves for mm-hmm. what we did or if we're being responsible mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I definitely feel like as women, it's like once we finally break out and be courageous to say, I know I have something to do. I know I have some mm-hmm. po- something poor. And it's almost as like, <gasps> did I, did I just say that? Did I, mm-hmm. is that okay? Mm-hmm. You- mm-hmm. It's interesting. I feel like too, it's, it's not just about being a woman. I think, well, I, I'm i always thinking now in political terms, unfortunately, but now that I have like the blinders taken off, I can't not see it everywhere. But I think that patriarchy and capitalism and racism and the way that those things intersect to keep people in their place, to disconnect people from their truth because the people in power want to stay in power. You know, so I, I, you're right. And on a, on a more macro level, it has nothing to do with me. It's this system that we've created in America. Mm-hmm. So tell me, it sounds like Nam is doing a lot of good things. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yep. and a lot of stuff that um, have kind of set you free. Do you feel like? NARM is part of it. And and I also I think I, I told you when you asked, like, what do you want to talk about today? I went to a trauma treatment program, a residential program this summer, because things caught up with me. And there was something I think it was, you know, all of the work that I had done up to that point, and stepping away from my life for a month, in order to give myself that gift that that there, like, there's a there's a moment when I stepped into freedom and I know the exact moment and I don't think I'll ever go back to where I was before. So where do you, where were you? And then what happened, what was the moment you stepped in and kind of like, where are you now? Mm-hmm. So I was at a, a treatment center in Arizona um, outside of Tucson and I was they they had me doing this type of therapy called revisioning, which I had never heard of before. Have you heard mm-hmm. of it? Mm-mm. it's so weird it's um you use a mirror 
and it was developed for people with phantom limb pain. Hmm. And so they had this like mirror situation where like, it, let's say you were missing a hand and you would stick one hand into this mirror box and then put the other hand next to it and you'd look down and it looked like you had two hands. So that does something in the brain with the mirror neuron system to be like, you have two hands. You don't have to have pain in this phantom limb anymore. So this guy, Mark Ryder, was like, huh, I wonder if that would work with grief and trauma. And it does. And so what you do is you draw different pictures of yourself. You can either use like physical pictures or you can draw pictures. And you developmentally go back to when you're in utero and then different developmental stages and you draw yourself and and what what was and then you draw in what it was that you needed at that point in in your life so i was in this session and we were we were at age 13 and when i when i think about when i think about this i want to be like oh this is such a stupid thing but clearly it wasn't stupid because it it like kind of set me forward but i wasn't allowed to call boys when i was <laughs> a teenager because my mom was terrified I was going to get pregnant. And if I was calling boys, somehow that led straight to me getting knocked up. I wasn't allowed to call boys, but I had a lot of male friends, like just totally platonic buddies. And it it was so restrictive. And so like that, that level of rigidity and controlling was just so painful for me. And so in this drawing, I, I, what I said was I needed autonomy. I needed choice. I needed to be trusted. Like, she didn't even trust that when I said this guy is a friend, she didn't even trust that, right? So I needed autonomy. I needed trust. I needed I needed those things. Something clicked. Something shifted. And it felt as if I was giving myself those things. It felt like I was reparenting myself. And not, so th that was one piece. And then part mm -hmm. two <laughs> was I went straight from that therapy session into a session with another therapist. And she is a somatic experiencing practitioner. And so it was very much body, body sensations, that sort of thing. And I told her what happened. And I said, I'm afraid it's not going to stick. And she's like, okay, well, you know, what do you think we need to do to have it stick. And we went, we went through some like noticing of what was happening in my body. And then all of a sudden it, f it felt like, and looked like, I, I see a lot of pictures. Like if I close mm -hmm. my eyes, I just visualize things. It, it felt and, and looked like ink streaming out of my second chakra, which is like underneath the belly button, mm -hmm. black ink, which also <laughs> Part of the trauma stuff that led me to treatment was a sexual trauma several years ago. And the second chakras is our sexuality, right? So black ink streaming out of this part of my body. And then I started feeling this like pulsating energy in my head. And she was like kind of directing me to like follow it. You know, what does it want to do? What happens? All of a sudden it like exploded and electric eels were like swimming up and down my spine. It was like, I, f I feel like it's almost like Ghostbusters, like when they did the like, mm -hmm. when they would shoot the ghost and you'd see like the energy flowing from everywhere. That's what it felt like it would have looked like. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, I'm just sitting in a chair, you know, <laughs> but these electric eels swimming up and down my spine. And I was just like, I knew what it was. It's, it was a Kundalini awakening. 
And I remember feeling like this is really intense. Oh my God, should I stop this? I don't know. And luckily the therapist like let me just keep going through it. And then at some point it kind of softened and subsided. Tears running down my face. I couldn't even talk. All I could do was look out the window behind her and say, I need to be there. I need to be there. And she's like, get your tarot cards and crystals and go. And so I walked outside. They had this really, really big field and one tree, because of course it's Arizona. They don't really have a lot of trees. One tree. So I walk all the way under the tree and I sit down under the tree and I was just like, everything was love. Everything was beautiful. And it felt like the tree was dancing for me, the branches swaying in the wind to a rhythm, like the birds were singing for me, a hawk landed in the tree for me. It was all, it was all for me, but not, not in a like self-absorbed way, in a we are one sort of way. I was high. I was high and I did no drugs. Like this was all, it just organically happened. And I felt that way for eight hours. <laughs> I felt that way. Yeah, I went, I had to go like to therapy, a therapy group later. And I was like, I don't know how to speak to humans anymore. Wow. I just wanted to speak to nature. Sounds very spiritual. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I knew, I knew it was a Kundalini awakening because a therapist prior to my NARM therapist, she also practices shamanism. And part of her story is having a Kundalini awakening when she had her first child. And so I went back to her like when I came home and I was like, Susan, how do like, how do I like keep this? Like, what do I need to do? And she's like, you had the experience of knowing that you are divine love. Just tune into that. You are divine love. That's it. That's all you have to remember. And now I love myself. Like, it's crazy. I didn't have access to self-love before. And now I do. Like, it's not like everything's easy now. But I love myself. But you had to experience this love that, in a sense, you didn't get from from your parents. Exactly. In order to love yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, as an adult, I had to give it to myself. Yeah. 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 And then feel it from the universe. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. Because there's limitations we have, we all have limitations as, as, mm -hmm. as humans. And so you had to mm -hmm. kind of fill that up because I feel like your parent, that that's what ideally parents are, are meant to do. And it doesn't always happen mm -hmm. that way mm -hmm. um, is to give you that love. Like you talked about that mirroring, that mm -hmm. sense of trust, that sense of autonomy. And so it's almost as like what you got in eight hours is what you needed that whole Ooh. time you were young and a teenager. Ooh. That just gave me chills. I didn't think about that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That divine love you that you should feel from your mother, right? Your primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want to feel it from your mother because you come from her body, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know. And I always knew. Yeah, I always knew that I wasn't what she wanted me to be. Mm. Mm. But I am what God or the universe or spirit wants me to be. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But you have to be really in that place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you kind of know that head knowledge. Well, mm -hmm. you be in a space in your life when you have the head knowledge about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you really have to have the experience 
you know, I always talk about God, talk about God is love, and I, which I, and I always say to people, like, you really have to experience, mm-hmm. you really have to experience God because it's mm-hmm. so different. Mm-hmm. And like, I love that you talk about the trees. That's like my favorite, like trees, mm. trees and water are my favorite. Like mm. I always talk about, I went by the river today, <laughs> but mm. um, because it's so refreshing and so mm-hmm. refilling. And so, but you really have to have that experience um, for yourself. Right. And I've, I've felt God at other points in my life and I'm, I'm comfortable using the God, the word God. I don't know how your audience feels about it, but I'll alternate between God and universe. Um, I've, I've felt, I felt that I didn't feel like I deserved it. This was the first time I felt like I deserved it. And it's only through seeing how bad it was. It's only through seeing that none of it was my fault, right? Like I, I also went through a bit of a, a, a reckoning in terms of, you know, my dad being a sex addict, I was sexually abused. He didn't have to touch me, but because he used sex as a weapon and as a way to be empowering over women, like the way that he used it against me, against my mother, you know, he'd hit on my friends, like when they're fucking teenagers, like that was, that was a, it, that was abuse, you know, it's, you could say energetic sexual abuse, you can say covert sexual abuse, right? So I had to really reckon with that. And I really had to reckon with the, the, the way that my mom was with me, even though nobody else experienced her this way, it was abusive. It was really abusive to, to want a child to be you is abusive. <laughs> That's not fair. And it wasn't until I could really say that and really lean into that without immediately moving away from it that I could feel like I deserved God's love. You said something that I don't disagree with. Many people would. That, and I wonder if people said that, but you said um, that that's not fair for you to want a child to be you. Mm-hmm. And try and be you. That's abusive. Mm-hmm. Do you get pushback on that? I don't think I've ever said it like that before. Okay. And I know none of my family members would agree with me. Yeah. But how dare you not delight in your child's presence as they are? Honestly. And I mean, I'm, I'm, being being the 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 child of of someone who expressly had you just to be a better version of them like that's that's it's just not right and i you know if if there are people out there who disagree i i urge you to do your own trauma work and really get in in tune with what happened to you cuz in in reality all of us have suffered developmental trauma you can't you can't live in the modern world and not have experienced trauma. So if you don't believe that you're a trauma survivor, then let's get curious about what might not have worked because we're all in pain right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I spe- you know, as I'm l- learning more and more about trauma, I mean, so I'm going to make something very distinctive here. Trauma is about an experience, experiences. So when I say experience, it could be one experience. 
It could be a number of different experiences. It is not about this particular type Mm-mm. of event, like, right. you know, a rape or a physical abuse. And I think that's mm-hmm. what we've often done, right. uh, kind of done with trauma and tried to put it onto, right. well, this event means that it was traumatic. Right. And so I think that's why we um, really kind of not look at it through the eyes that maybe I did experience trauma, mm-hmm. but it's about your experiences and how you respond um, in your behaviors and in your body to these experiences where you're now put on high alert or you're put into um feel like you're constantly in survival mode and, and, you, and you're stuck yeah mm-hmm. and you're stuck yeah and I think I just really want to highlight when she's saying trauma like and look mm-hmm. at your trauma like things fall through the cracks <laughs> well so what you're talking about right now is shock trauma right and that's that's the the general public knows what shock trauma is. It's what you talk about, rape, car accidents, being in combat, right? That's something that everybody knows. It's this developmental trauma that that is truly life-threatening when you're an infant because mm-hmm. infants cannot survive in the wild, right? So, like, if your caregiver is not meeting your needs, it is a threat to survival. It's just, it's not an acute threat on your life, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I kind of agree with that. We don't agree, but I, I, that's truth. And that's why a lot of the work I've been doing now, um, I think I, I might have mentioned this to you, but around the work I do with perfectionism is really about that response. It is a trauma response. Yes. No question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In, in NARM, Actually, next Friday, they're doing a, a day-long intro. I'll send you the information if you want to do it because they they talk about five five survival styles, which are essentially, essentially adaptations to the lack of, of caregiver response. And the last one, which usually happens, like it's, it's kind of like developmental stages and how old you are, but not, not quite exactly that, but... The last one is is the love sexuality survival style, and that one is really all about perfection and trying to put this image out there that is is totally perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is yeah makes total survival to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. It makes total mm-hmm. total total mm-hmm. sense. Yep. So now experience this divine love which just mm-hmm. and I, can I just say that that wasn't it like no what am I mean what is it like there's more to come there's more yeah yeah that's right. what I mean yeah. like it's yeah. not like it's it, not just, over yeah <laughs> right it wasn't just that one time like mm-hmm. um there's more to come mm-hmm. um what is life like for you now how you know because kind of like our mm-hmm. lens changes mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. What what's that like for you now? Yeah, I, I if I if we weren't in a pandemic and I wasn't stuck in Chicago in the dead of winter, I think I would be flying constantly because I I don't doubt myself as much anymore, you know, and and part of it is having that access to self-love and part of it is just accessing my own truth and you know, it's 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 so interesting. I, I kind of I get a little 
like screwed up in my head sometimes because I think about, you know, as a therapist, we're like, well, everything's relative, right? Your perception is one thing and this person's perception is another. But what happened to me was real. And nobody can say that it wasn't, even though that didn't happen to my brother. It still happened to me. And nobody else gets to tell me what was actually my experience. And and for my whole life, and I've you know, I just turned 42. So for 41 and a half years, I was blaming myself thinking that there was something wrong with me. And now I know there is nothing wrong with me. I mean, I, I mean, like I am, I'm a divine being. <laughs> mm. Right. And I get, I get to, I get to remember that every day. And that doesn't mean that I don't feel pain. Like I'm, I'm in pain right now because it's hard. It's hard to not see my people. It's it's hard to just stay in my house. And But the pain's not inside of me. The pain is outside now. The pain is outside. That sounds so freeing. The pain is no longer mm-hmm. inside of me. It's outside. Mm-hmm. It sounds so, mm-hmm. so freeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just want to highlight this because I always like to highlight stuff like that. Did you guys hear she said she's 42 and she's doing this work? Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes we just put this age in these blockers. I did a, a, you know, episode on I should have this by now or I should mm-hmm. be like this by now. or um, And I always like that you share your age so that people who are your age or even older mm-hmm. can be like, well, I can still do this work. And then mm-hmm. people who are younger feeling like, what's wrong, what's wrong with me? And I don't want people who are younger to be like, well, what's wrong with me? What, do I have to wait till I'm 42? Well, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. But no, because if I if I heard somebody say this at, mm-hmm. when I was in my 20s, it probably would have saved me at least a decade yeah, of yeah. this pain, you know? Yeah. 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 If, if somebody would have told me what developmental trauma was when mm-hmm. I was in my early 20s, yeah, things would have been very different. Yeah. Yeah, no one does. No one talks about it. We didn't like, know what it was. I mean, this is really, it's it's a fairly recent, like, deep understanding so Mm -hmm. we we need to this is why i talk about it this is why i share my story because i want more people to know what it is so that you can have freedom from it and know that it wasn't your fault yeah and i think that even like when we're talking about this and the trauma we experience and we all experience it i think the developmental trauma is the hardest because there's that part of us that doesn't want to blame our parents or say we had bad parents because we want to preserve the attachment Right. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? I, I remember mm-hmm. my therapist talking to me and I was like, well, you know, this happened to you and this is why you have a I was like, no, no way. Da-da-da-da. My mom did this and did it. Well, she did. But I, you know, I, I did this podcast episode recently. Like she was still human. My mom was 21 when she had me. How can stuff not happen? Mm-hmm. You know, because she's she still was trying to find, find herself. So mm-hmm. stuff fell through the cracks you know mm-hmm. um but we it's hard for us to mm-hmm. even me everyone listen it's even hard for me to mm-hmm. be like I experienced trauma because I want mm-hmm. to protect my mom or don't feel like mm-hmm. you know don't want anyone to look at my mom anywhere but when I look at it from a different lens like she was only 21 of course mm-hmm. stuff happens um, and that doesn't make our parents bad like I <laughs> I think I'm I'm one of the few people who kind of always was like 
fuck this family shit. I am not interested in this. I knew I did not want to be a part of any of that mess. And I got away as soon as I possibly could. But a lot of people really loved my mom. And they re she really helped them. My dad was an asshole. Nobody liked him. But everybody loved my mom. Mm -hmm. She wasn't a bad person, but she was bad for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and even if like your parent, like, it sounds like your mom was really lovely, but just so young. Mm -hmm. So yeah. how do you, you don't know any better? And babies don't come with manuals and babies are all different. So even if you're the most loving parent, you're going to screw it up. And now I don't want all the parents out there to start going, oh, my God, how can I make <laughs> sure not to screw up my kid? See them clearly. Do your own work. Do your own work. Because if you can't see yourself clearly, you can't see them clearly. Hmm. That's so good. Well, <laughs> is that enough? I think I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, do you have anything for the audience? But I think you just said it, unless you have something else to say. Like any takeaways you want them to take away from today? I mean, I'll just say again, I think that we're all trauma survivors. And if you don't know what your trauma is yet, I, I invite you to get curious and to educate yourself you can, you know, there's there's a book for NARM. It's called Healing Developmental Trauma. So you can check that out by Lawrence Heller. There's, I mean, there's plenty of other types of, of therapy that, that work with shock trauma. But NARM, I think, as far as I understand, is the only one that's specifically developed for developmental trauma. And, I mean, I'm guessing everyone who listens to this already goes to therapy. But, you know. Not necessarily. No, this is not your therapy. Go to therapy. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's all about, one, one of the things that we talk about in NARM is pretending like we don't know what we know about ourselves only because we as humans tend to get an answer and then stick with that answer. And if we continue to do that, we're not open to learning about other things that, that may be in our experience. So that's what I, what I think I'd say to your listeners is, is be, be curious. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So how can they shower you with love? How can they <gasps> connect with you? Where can OMG. Well, our website is www.headhearttherapy.com. I also have a podcast, right, called Conversations with a Wounded Healer. So you can check that out anywhere that you get your podcasts. Um, Instagram is probably my favorite place to connect, and that's at Head Heart Therapy. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at Head Heart Therapy and Wounded Healer. And what else? If if there are any therapists out there, we're actually doing a, a webinar series this year about really tapping into your authentic healer as a therapist. So I can make sure to give you that information so you can share with folks. Cause that's, I mean, that's really my passion is helping therapists be the best version of themselves so that they're really able to do the work yeah. that's necessary in this world. I love it. I love that. Thank you so much. And we're going to put all that information on the show notes and thank you for just being an amazing guest and just amazing you. Thank you. If you connected with what you just heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. 
You can stay connected by following the Instagram Bianca Keisha, spelled Keisha, K E S H A, or visiting the website authenticwednesday.com. Remember, authenticity is a journey, not a destination.